You're listening to Culture Camp. Tune in each week to hear from an amazing lineup of athletes, CEOs, founders, and more who have created winning cultures in their organization. Each will share the secrets to creating a culture in your business that will lead you to thrive. Are you ready? Here's your host, Jason Haugen. All right, welcome back to another episode of Culture Camp. I got a super fun one for you guys today. Uh, God bless our military. I got one of my favorite people here. Um, we met a long time ago in, is in a, you know, you were showing me the opportunity or something like that in network marketing, and you were way, way, way ahead of me. Um, but ex-military SEAL team, right? Yep. And crushing in the network marketing space, Brandon Thornhill. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. I, I met you downtown Salt Lake City. Yeah, Star- Starbucks. And I was pitching you my opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> with, uh, with, I think, Braxton, right? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Braxton. Um, dude, it was, that shit, uh, I should have joined with you guys back then. Yeah. But, you know, I was kind of <laughs> stuck with what I was doing, but um, I had the dealerships back then and kind of kind of lost a little bit of belief in what we were doing because I just got kicked through the dirt with the company and was just like, ah, like I'm just, this company's just didn't do it for me. Yeah, at that time you were actually transitioning out of that, getting into the RV space. So yeah. hey, it's a good thing you stuck where you were at because man, look at you now. Yeah, no, it's been uh, definitely exciting and I've had a blast, but I also love that side of, I mean, I grew up in it, right? Like my right. mom and dad were network marketing and you know i'm uh i'm still a part of your facebook group i don't know if you know that but um you <laughs> no, know, I just watching you guys, yeah well i mean <laughs> probably in trouble but I, I i love seeing the success and i love seeing you know the ranks go like just all you guys all that culture you've created right like and right. that's what's you know i love about this you know what we talk about this podcast is that culture you've created um and just it's unlike anything else like it's it's a very it seems like it's very competitive very exciting very fast-paced very like everybody wants everybody to win kind of culture. And I, I love that. It doesn't seem like it's all about you. It doesn't seem like it's all about, you know, your wife is also with you, which I, which I want to get into and talk about because that is always something that I always wanted back, back then never really, you know, me and my ex-wife, we were in network marketing together and it was kind of a difficult thing. We spoke together sometimes and, but uh, Julia's just crushing it. Like she's awesome. Um, I actually, want to get her on this podcast if she would uh if she'd do it for me yeah um but so i want to talk about you i want to talk about your story you got a fascinating story sill team which i think is freaking sweet like my dream thing my dream job <laughs> um and then we can get into you know your business business life so so just my background yeah yeah so i grew up in a small town in ohio joined the navy and i was like 18 years old it's funny man when i was going into the navy the recruiters are his, you know they're just known for lying to you right. <laughs> so you know, I was like, man, I want to be a SEAL. I found this video when I was in the eighth grade and I started training for it. I went to a really small school and we didn't even have a pool. And so I was, you know, it was, it was a SOCOM, actually a SOCOM PlayStation game. There was a 30 minute teaser video on there that got me and uh, wow. got me super excited. So I started doing all my research, research when I was playing football, basketball, baseball. And um, when I got into high school, I said, all right, this is what I'm going to do. And so freshman year, I started training for it just doing push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, dips, you know, running. Uh, so I would, I would go to practice, you know, for a couple hours and then, uh, either afterwards or before school, I would show up and either go swim at Honda because my, my mom worked at Honda transmissions in the factory line and, and, uh, had access to a pool. So I'd drive wow. to the pool, swim for, you know, 30, 45 minutes, taught myself how to do the side stroke, which is the, the stroke that you have to do to, 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 you know, enter the program. Right. And, um, and then I would show up to school, you know, 
a little bit early, shoot basketball for a little bit and go to school all day and then repeat it. And so I did that for like three or four years. Um, and then joined the Navy when I was 18 years old, got to boot camp only to realize that the recruiter lied to me and told me my eyesight wasn't good enough. <laughs> and so, really? and so, man, I was super excited. I mean, imagine 18 years old, you leave home, you're like, dude, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. Like, this is my dream. Right. And then they're like, yeah, no, you're not. Uh, you need to pick a rating and you're going to go out to the regular Navy and you're going to do two years. And then you can come in and put in your, your, um, you know, request to go to, uh, to, to go to buds and be a seal. And so I was like, yeah, that doesn't work for me. And so literally like when you show up to boot camp, you're in this stadium and it's probably not the same now, but back then it was like 2006. And, uh, this guy comes and he says, Hey, any volunteers to go to buds? And so obviously they had a list of people that already qualified. My name was not on the list, which was right. really annoying. And I said, all right, next person, we're all going to go to the pool. Next individuals that uh, we're going to let come in is going to be the air crew. I was like, well, I'll just volunteer and I'll follow these guys to the pool and maybe I'll be able to sneak away and go swim with the guys who are going to go to Buds. Right. And that's exactly what I did. I got in line. We all walked into the pool. They, they kept walking. I sneak, snuck out of this line and got into the line where the Buds students were going and, and, um, and took the test, crushed it. And the Master Chief's sitting there and, and who's like the senior enlisted guy there afterwards, after we took the test, he's like, hey, how did you even get in here? Like, you don't qualify. I said, I don't know how I got here, but you know, can I, can I get into buds? He's like, no, you have to go through boot camp. You have to take, you know, redo the, the, he basically, my ASVAB score wasn't even good enough either. Wow. Are you familiar with, with ASVAB? Uh, it's like, just a test that you have to take to get into the, the uh, one that's like pick a color between red and blue. Yeah. It's like, oh, <laughs> it's basically that, that simple, right. but I must've been that not smart. <laughs> well, it's like <laughs> both uneducated. answers are right, but when, which one's most right? I don't know. Yeah, it's just, tests. it's, it was, so, so you had to have a certain amount of stuff to add it up. And I guess it didn't, they didn't even tell me that before I left. He said, and I'm, I'm not telling you what to do, but go get eye surgery and maybe you can get to buds within the next couple of years. So long story short, man, it's crazy how God works because I was one of the students that I was, um, um, bunking with in boot camp. He was also one of the guys that I partnered up with to, do the do the PST the physical screening test with, mm -hmm. and he failed his sit ups by one sit up, really. And I lied <laughs> and said he passed, which could have got me in a lot of trouble, right? Right. And he was able to get access to buds, and I was like, "Yeah, this guy's probably not ever going to make it because he can't even barely pass the sit ups." Come on, right? Well, he ended up making it. A couple wow. years later, he ended up making it, and and you know that to me was like a huge revelation. I'm like, if this guy can do it, anybody can do it. Like, right? Cool. You just have to be willing to be dumb enough not to quit. Right. And so, um, which come to find out is actually more, more to it than that. But long story short, I went out to, um, to the regular, I graduated boot camp, became a hospital Navy corpsman and went out to Virginia beach, was taking care of moms and babies, by the nice. way, nice. and found a master chief seal. So I kept training, kept fighting, knowing that as long as I kept training, eventually I'd be able to get there. I just didn't know how it was going to happen or when it was going to happen, but eventually it would happen. Right. And, uh, man, I kept training and God just placed this individual in front of me, law of attraction, whatever you want to call it. Right. And, you know, he told me, he said, listen, I'll, I'll, there'll be a two month process, three month process that I want to see if you're actually serious and not curious and see if you're a talker or a doer. Right. And he said, show up tomorrow. And remember I was working. So I was working from 7 PM to 7 AM. Wow. 12, 12 hour shifts at the hospital. At the hospital. Wow. He's like, meet me at, in Little Creek at SEAL team two tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. And he's going to make me train with all of the new 
you know, SQT SEAL qualification training graduates, the guys who just got their birds, right. became a SEAL. These guys are in the best shapes of their, you know, of their life. Right. And so anyways, I went and worked out with these guys in the morning, you know, showed up and he made me stay a couple hours later to do some like random cleaning. And then I, and then I'd get home around, I don't know, probably 12 or one o'clock, get back to work or at six thirty-seven, and do it again the next day. Wow. So he wanted to see if I was serious. He was just testing me. Right. And so he got me cause I put my, as soon as I got to the hospital, I put my name on the eye surgery list. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was like, I was an E nothing, which is basically the lowest rank in the military. So it was going right. to take me like three or four years to get it. Right. And I fast tracked that by building the right relationship. Right. <laughs> and, uh, he was one of the senior enlisted guys at seal team two at the time. And he literally called my master chief and said, Hey, I want this guy to go to buds. Let's get him eye surgery and let's make it happen. And wow. I went to buds. Dude, that's legit. That's crazy, man. <laughs> There's a, a lot of obstacles, man. It was, yeah. it was, wild. that's a, that's a nutty story, but it, it's cool that like just the per- perseverance, man, which I feel like there's a lot of people that don't have that. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people that you can name that, or may- maybe not name, but you saw, you know, with you in the classes and with you and all that, like the get washed out. I mean, that's, that's, the des- like, that's what it's designed to do is wash out kind of the weak, you know, quote unquote weaker ones, or and maybe they go do something else, but then that perseverance. And then, you know, for that master chief to get, you know, kind of put in your lap and then start training with them and like, side by side with people that are already there. That, that's incredible. That's a great, that's an amazing opportunity, but that opportunity doesn't come if you don't bust your ass. And even and even having the right, right attitude, right? Like, cause you could have just went to the hospital, laid down, said, hey, I don't really wanna, you know, whatever. It's not for me. I'm just gonna do my, do my four years and get out or do this or do that or whatever. It's not for me anymore. But you're like, no, I'm, I'm gonna keep training until they tell me like, no. And then I'm gonna keep training until they tell me no. And I'm gonna keep training until they tell me no. And like you said, it, it, it'll work out. But I want, I want to ask you, where did you get that mindset? Was it like always instilled me from, was it like a, a child thing? Was it growing up of like one, getting the mindset to train like you did in high school and two, getting the mindset to never quit like you did? Man, that's a good question. I don't know. It's like, you know, I grew up in a small town in Ohio. My mom was really a single mom who raised us. She showed me what true hard work's all about. Cause she worked, you know, at Honda transmissions on the factory line. And you know, it's, it's, it was, pretty humbling to see looking back at everything she was doing for us when she really had no time to spend with us. It was all work. Right. But you know, I would get off school, she would go to work. And so really like I was sports raised me mm-hmm. and kind of, I kind of raised myself, which is good and bad. <laughs> right. I, there was some stuff that I was doing that was, could have led me in a complete wrong direction, but sports saved me. Right. So I don't know. It's probably just the competitiveness of, of, um, of all the sports that I was in growing up and, you know, and just seeing everybody just, that was the, the standard. The standard was you work hard, right? Was, you know, and, and, and so, you know, that, that was instilled to me at a really young age is that you have to work hard. And if you're not going to work hard, I mean, look what your mom's doing every night. She's working her face right. off to provide for you guys. And it was also kind of the standard of the, the, the environment of the friends that I had, like this is culture camp. So the culture of the friends that we had was competitive. That's all. I mean, that's amazing because a lot of people might not have that, but if you're, I mean, it, you, but take advantage of the opportunity, right? I mean, or find it, it or, or find it. Yeah, exactly. Like there's a lot of people out there that probably aren't hanging around with the best people. And I always, I, I firmly believe that, you know, the old cliche saying of you're the sum of the five people you hang out with. And I think that's so true because you are a product of, you know, your surroundings, right? And if you surround yourself with those people that have that competitive nature, I mean, look, look what happened to you. And so, you know, I would challenge someone if you're listening to this and, you know, take, take that audit, right? That friend audit or that environment audit and being like, am I in the right, like from where, where I want to go, is my environment taking me there or holding me back? And 
like it's cool to, to maybe look back at you know what you're doing and saying like look like i was i was an expected thing for our friend group and maybe and you know you had that dream from that socom yeah you know 30 minute or 30 second you know ad and then i'm sure you told that to your friends and all your friends were like yeah do it do it do it yeah some of them some of them were like yeah that's awesome but some of them are like dude you're tiny like that's not there's no way you can be a navy seal because you know all of your friends are competitive but at the same time not all of them have the same vision right and the belief and kind of the the uh, the naivety or however you say that word right. i was pretty naive you know like when i growing up as a freshman or sophomore i believe i was you know five eight five nine 130 140 pounds i was going to play division one basketball right <laughs> like that wasn't going to happen but right. i believed it was going to happen and, and i played as if it was going to happen and i so that was what i brought in kind of anything that i did was you know why not why not me if other people can do it why can't i do it right you know yeah no i, I love that so when you got to, so when you got to, and went through BUDS, I mean, how, how was that? I mean, I, I don't really know hundred percent what BUDS is, so I'm sure it's a crazy yeah. training and different things like that. So I had the, I had the, I guess the pleasure of being a student going through the process and then, you know, like year 10 of, cause I was in the SEAL teams for 12 years. So like my ninth or 10th year, I went to a basic underwater demolition SEAL training, which is wow. training to, you know, that, that students go through to be a SEAL. And I was a first phase BUDS instructor putting students through Hell Week. And so point of it is, is there's first phase, which is the selection process. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's meant to be tough. You know, it's not meant to be easy. Right. It's, we call it three weeks in a long day. The first three weeks are meant to literally wear and tear and grind you down. It's not like one evolution ever should get somebody. I mean, they do because sometimes people start thinking too far ahead. Right. Um, but the whole process of that three weeks is to grind you down mentally, make you exhausted. And then now guess what you got to do? You got to go into hell week. So right. hell week is starts Sunday night at 9 PM. And you know, you, you have, you get about two hours of sleep until Wednesday. You're constantly cold, wet, tired. Everything is a competition and you have to perform. So earlier when I said, you know, you just have to survive. Well, survival is only part of it. We, we were, and when I got into, um, as an instructor, I realized I'm like, oh man, there's actually a standard here. Like, like these dudes have to perform to the standard or we will drop them. Right. Period. We'll remove them from the class and say, you're hurting your, your, your classmates. You can't keep up. And so, cause there's individual evolutions and there's team evolutions. Right. And so if you are, if you're the person who's underneath the boat, cause you have, you know, I can't remember. It's like six, six or sometimes I think it's uh, yeah six or seven guys underneath the boat with you. And if you're ducking boat and everybody else is carrying the weight, carrying your weight mm -hmm. constantly, that's going to hurt them. So right. if we see that you're, under stress and a painful situation and, and, and you're, you know, making everybody else carry your weight, we'll pull you to the side and say, Hey, you have a couple more warnings and you're out. Right. You know, so, so we want to see that during the, the individual evolutions, you can still perform, but during the team evolutions, that's when you perform the hardest. Right. Cause if you're just performing, we had a guy, super talented kid, man. He, uh, he used to run division one track. He would run like, 22 minute four mile runs on the beach and boots and pants which is pretty fast wow and then and then you know but we'd put him on a underneath a log or underneath a boat with somebody and he would start to slow down really so, well it's in, it's very interesting that during the individual times when you get to shine when you get to be the one that everybody gets to see how you perform for you right but you're not performing for your boys right we don't that's not teamwork right and so long story short, there is a standard that people have to go through and they have to maintain or else they'll get pulled. So anyways, hell week is you get two hours of sleep on Wednesday, two hours of sleep on Thursday. Wow. And then that is hell. 
it's yeah it's it's it's, like it, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 pretty tough man um and we'll even have sometimes when we have kids you know kids grown men um but we'll have these guys who are you know running coughing up blood but as long as they can still keep their pulse ox up for example if if we've had guys sat in like 78 or not or 80 percent and um you know as long as they can get them back up we bring them out we get them on pure o2 get them push them up to in the 90s as long as they can maintain that, then we'll keep them in class. But if they keep falling out, then we'll pull them and they got to go to medical and probably roll back to the next class. Wow. So, you know, there's, it's, it's pretty tough, but as, again, as long as they can keep performing after that, then they're good. And then, and then Friday, they finish Friday around like nine or 10 AM. Wow. And that's, that's intense, yeah, man. Yeah. So one time I was in, uh, in San Diego on Coronado beach and I, I think there's a sea or a Navy base there, right? Well, that's where we train. Oh, so, so right out in front of Coronado yep. hotel, yep. I sat there and watched these guys. There's a lot of them just getting kind of yelled at, but they were carrying boats and they had to like carry them in the water, carry them out of the water, like then logs. And then, so was that, was what year a, was that? This is just last year. Oh, I was gonna say because I was there from 2015 to 2018. So really? Yeah. This is just last I was year. The, I was the instructor who was putting students through that. So really? that that is first phase, and it's just teamwork. They're 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 taking their their boats out past the surf zone and they're bringing it in, mm -hmm. and they're landing them on the rocks. And it's an evolution that they have to pass so they can successfully land, you know, a small boat with their with their boat team, right? right. And um and it's all about teamwork, right? Yeah, because you could totally, I mean, then they carry these logs, you know, back and forth, drop them, pick them up, or, and they put them on their shoulders, and then they'd walk, and then, like, they'd, and then they'd drop everything and have to run down the, the beach small, a little the bit. the small logs, like, really individual ones, or are they big ones? Um, they're big ones. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. big ones. Um, but me and my, so I was with my daughter. Me and my daughter just staring at him, and she's like, what are they doing? And I'm like, that's, I don't know. <laughs> and she, we sat there watching him for, like, you know, 30 minutes, go in and out of the surf, in and out of the surf. Um, you know, have to do it again if they didn't do it, whatever. Yeah. And I was like, man, that's, that's intense. That is some intense stuff right there. But it's, you know, I was kind of talking to my daughter and I was like, like, what are they doing? I was like, there's being a team. Like, so why are they carrying the boat? Because you can't carry a boat by yourself. Obviously you need more people. And then she's like, oh, like, you know, when you help me do this and do that. And I'm like, yeah, like sometimes, yeah, you can perform individually, but at the end of the day, like quite often you need other people. And it was, it was kind of cool. Like, obviously she was like four and didn't really hundred percent understand, but, um, it's funny because she, if you still talk about Coronado Island with her or San Diego, because she knows I have to talk to her about SeaWorld and, you know, zoo and stuff. She's like, oh, where we saw the people carrying the boats. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, oh, yeah, we'll, let's go back. I'm like, okay. But it's funny that that was so, you know, that's, it was something to no, that she remembers. Listen, that. that's a cool experience for you, man, because we only do that once every so often. Really? It's probably once every eight weeks. And, and it was dark. I mean, it was like probably like seven, eight o'clock at night. Yeah. And they stayed out there for a while, had the little headlamps on. Yeah. And then just, I mean, we, we ended up, I had to go put her to bed. So we, had, I don't know how long <laughs> they were out there, but you know, we watched them for like a half hour. And yeah. It was pretty cool. The evolution goes on. It depends on if it's hell week or not. Cause it could have been hell week. That's still right. something they have to pass. They have to do that same evolution in hell week exhausted. Really? So you know, again, the leadership that the, that the, the team has to bring to the table, the teamwork, all that stuff counts. Wow. That's awesome. So I want to ask too, um, what, so what does it mean to be like a seal, right? Like what is, what is a seal? I know there's multiple different teams and then we'll get into culture. I know that, but I'm just curious for myself. The seal is just, you know, it's just a, it's different because every different, I guess, um, military organization from army to Navy to air force, they all have their different special operations 
units and they all serve a purpose. Right. Right. So the seals are sea, air and land. So we can come in from the sea, air or land. Okay. And so we've, we've just been great at being very adaptable. We're more of a surgical force to come in and do more like precision type operations. Right. Um, but you know, throughout the, you know, war in Iraq and Afghanistan, like when I was in Iraq, we we're doing a lot of, um, you know, Al Qaeda or Hezbollah targets. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I mean, we were going out every single night. It was, it was crazy. Wow. But when I was in Afghanistan, the, the mission shifted and we were doing village security operations, VSO. And that's more like a green beret style mission. Right. And so point of it is, is that wasn't technically, technically our mission. Our mission was more of a commando unit where, you know, if they knew they had a certain high value target, then they would get in the helos and they would go execute on the target, right? right. Capture, kill. If it was a, you know, it just depends on who, who it is, where it is. They either go in by helo or by, you know, vehicles, whatever. Right. But we needed work. We needed employment. So right. we're like, hey, we'll do anything. So, so our admiral said, hey, we'll do this village security operation. And we came in and we, we did a great job. And it's essentially you're taking and you're, you're increasing the white space, which is the safe space of, of an area. And you're bringing, you know, security, governance, de development to the region. You know, come to find out which now kind of right you know we we give all the money to the taliban and <laughs> they right. take it all over anyway so a lot of those people unfortunately that we helped during those small villages because you're our, our outposts in a small village was right next to a village right and there's nothing around it's really? just us and so we're, we're supposed to come in there and build a relationship and with with these um you know local afghan individuals and so right. long story short is that's it becomes very challenging when you have the political environment that we're in now. And, and now you look back and all that stuff doesn't even matter anymore. It's crazy. Yeah, that's tough. But like, you know, I guess, yeah, that's tough because sometimes, and I guess that's one of those moments where you just got to figure out like, Hey, what's like, you know, there's a war, there's a battle, there's a mission, right? Like mm -hmm. there's just different kind of scenarios. And sometimes in life, like you got to get to the micro and just, you know, accomplish the mission. And that's mm -hmm. all you kind of, kind of look at. And then you can't, you can only control what you can control. Right. And obviously you can't, control everything but you had a job to do and that was the mission and but then sometimes when you get look at the macro things and the wide it's like gosh like you know it, I, I can imagine that would be tough because like you watched a lot happen doing you know you know doing that security and doing different things overseas and then like look at it now and be like Whoa, why yeah a lot of times you're 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 doing it for your brothers that you're right. that you're you're with you know and then but when you look at some of the missions you're like dude come on Right. We just gave up all of that for what, you know, right. like we've, we lost a lot of, a lot of guys. So yeah, it's, it's, it can be, it can be a challenging conversation. We can have a whole conversation on, on right. this alone probably. But um, yeah, so SEAL is just, it's just a different. Um, so is there a difference between teams? Like SEAL teams, yeah. one, two, three, four, five, six. Well, not now. There used to be, they used to be very like area of operation oriented. Okay. So you have East coast, the SEAL teams can really only be Virginia in Virginia or in San Diego, there's also a SEAL delivery vehicle team out in Hawaii. And those are really the three places that you can most of the time be stationed at. And so you have two, four, eight, and 10, which is the, what we call the vanilla or regular SEAL teams. And you also have development group, which is SEAL team six and Virginia beach. Okay. And then you have, which is you know, next to DC, right? Not right. too far. And then you have the West coast, you know, more of the, the Hollywood SEALs. We, we, we joke around with them about cause I was an <laughs> East coast guy, but they're just as good. Um, they have one, three, five, and seven. Uh, SEAL teams. Okay. And that's in Coronado. And then you have um, 
you know, seal delivery vehicle team in Hawaii. Nice. That's awesome. That's it's, it's, it's fascinating. Military is fascinating. So let's get into culture. Um, one thing I'm going to ask is what do you think that are the biggest, which, you know, you've grown, I want to get into, um, let's talk about what you've been able to do outside of the military, because then we can start talking about, because you've been able to build something amazing mm-hmm. in one of the hardest industries, you know, out there, but you've been able to, to come in, you know, at a couple different companies and still have a lot of success. Um, let's talk about that. Like, yeah. you know, what have you been able to do in the direct space or, and, and, and was that the first business opportunity business thing you did out, out of the military? Yeah, I'll tell you my story and how I got involved and then I'll go into what we've been able to do. But yeah, I was a first phase budget instructor putting students through Hell Week. I had just came back from Europe and I lived in Europe. I was stationed at what we call unit two out there. I was a European country officer putting, you know, as, as different SEAL teams would deploy, I would help them, you know, essentially work with a different um, European partner, soft partner forces. Mm-hmm. And um with that said, every day, every one, one weekend a month, you got a four day holiday. And so my wife, she loves to travel. Right. And so did we travel, but as an E six in the military, it's great. It's a guaranteed paycheck. But it's also a guaranteed paycheck. It doesn't pay very much. Right. right? So as a E I was an E six and, um, which I can't remember exactly how much I was making, maybe five or six grand a month. But when you're traveling around Europe, come on. Like right. it's so, but it's very easily justifiable to say, Oh, you know, this at least we don't have to pay for flights and all that stuff. Let's go now. Right. And so we would just drive to all these different countries every once a month. We'd go somewhere and we racked up about $40,000 in credit card debt, 18% interest. Wow. And so when I went back to, um, when we finally got out to San Diego and I was putting students through whole week, I said, babe, we got to do something. Like, I don't know what we're going to do, but I got to start figuring out maybe I can drive for Uber, you know, working 60, 80, sometimes hundred plus hours a week. You definitely got to get a job doing something because she was really talented in the marketing space. It's just when you move, when you're new to an area, right. it can be challenging you know, to find a, um, a corporate job. Right. And so we both said, okay, yes, let's find something. Crazy enough, as it's always worked out, when you put something out in the universe, something happens. And one of my friends reached out to me as I was, I'll never forget, I was on the obstacle course. I was putting students through. They were, they were, they were running around from obstacle to obstacle. And I, and I got a phone call from an old friend of mine who I hadn't talked to in a while. And he's like, hey, I, I want to, reach out to you, let you know, I, I got this multimillionaire from Dallas that I'm, I'm, I'm hanging out with and we're going to fly out there. We want to meet you. And I want you to give him a buds tour, you know, and so a tour of the compound. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, whatever. Cool. So like a week later they flew out, I met him and it would end up being now my best friend, James Bradford, mm-hmm. who at the time, man, they, they got started when they started, when he came over from his previous company to this company, you know, did, they did $130 million in sales in 18 months. Wow. That's they, incredible. They were blew up. That is incredible. The month I met him, and I don't want to make income claims or whatever, but the month I met him, he made $800,000 that month. Wow. So I was like, listen, um, he, he loved that I was a SEAL, and I love that he was an entrepreneur, and, and our personalities you know, connected. And I was like, hey, if you'll mentor me, like, I'll be coached. We'll do whatever it takes. Right. He's like, well, let me tell you, let me show you what we have. And he showed me their system. I didn't really understand it. I liked the, the, the idea of being able to create leverage, but I was still pretty naive to the whole thing. And I was like, dude, it sounds like one of those pyramid schemes. Is this like a pyramid scheme? And he, and he just started laughing. He was like, dude, everything's a pyramid at the end of the day. Like, you just have to understand that, you know, the only people who say that type of stuff are the people that just don't really understand how money flows. Right. And they don't understand how distribution works. He said, so listen, and he broke it all down to me. I kept an open mind. I always knew that the mind's like a parachute only works if it's open. Right. And so I decided I like, to- I like that. Yeah, man, I decided to, to, you know, listen to somebody who had the results that I was looking for and not listen to all these other people who had opinions, but no results to back it up. Right. 
And so when I listened to him, um, I sat down, like I said, took a serious look at everything. I saw the simplicity of it. Everybody needs health. Everybody needs to make money. Why not be able to provide a solution for both? Got started. Like I said, I was working almost 100 hours a week sometimes. So um, part-time, the cracks of my schedule, I, we, we were able to start building this system. My wife wanted nothing to do with it at the time because she was still so, so skeptical of the industry in and of itself. Right. And so I got started, started doing really well in it. Within two or three months, hit like a, a pretty decent position in the comp plan. And she was like, wow, okay, this is serious. Like, not only are you making money, but the products have helped me. They've helped a lot of these, a lot of my friends and family because we started sharing it. Okay, maybe we have something here. Maybe there's right. a real business model. And so she jumped in and we started building it together, man. And it was, it was a, it's been a wild ride. It's been a fun ride, but it's been a wild ride. You know, That's and anybody, awesome. that, anybody that tells you that direct sales, you know, or network marketing or anything, is it going to be, it's going to be an easy cakewalk? Like it's not. No. And, and, you know, from experience, I know that it's not. And yeah. I, uh, I feel like I had a, everything going for me and it was, it was really tough because the biggest thing that I had, was belief, right? Like I skipped that whole entire, you know, phase of figuring out if I believed in it or didn't believe in it and all these things. Cause I grew up in it. Right. Like, I mean, I watched my mom and dad, you know, there's, you know, small events were 20,000 people and you know, their it's big incredible. events were, I remember they sold out the Georgia dome, um, back in the nineties like late nineties with 97,000 people for a three day event. And I mean, like one time they, I mean, this was back with no cell phones, no internet, everything was faxed, right? They sold so many tickets to their Salt Lake event. They, they, now it's called the Delta center again. So they had it at the Delta center and they sold so many tickets so fast, but there's no online tracking system that they sold like 40,000 tickets. Well, the Delta center doesn't hold that many. So they sold out the Huntsman center, the Delta center and the salt palace all in the same weekend <laughs> for the same event. And so they had to like pick and choose what groups were going where they had, you know, speakers circling around trying to figure out where to speak. And, you know, they had a main stage in the Delta center and they like, you know, made everything, you know, live back then they, you know, they could, they could do that. And it was insane. And then every single, the first Saturday of every single month, um, my dad would do a hundred BDSs. So like a business development seminar with between like 2000 and like 7,000 people at a hundred locations each, right? Like 2000 to 7,000 each location, a wow. hundred a month, the exact same time, the first Saturday of every month from six or from like, what is that? I think it was like six to nine. Insane. With no internet, with no cell phones. Like that was all from a little briefcase. I, I have no idea how he did it. So anyway, I don't know why that any of that matters, but I had it, a lot of matters. belief in it, right? Cause yeah. I still don't know how they did it. And they don't really tell us a whole lot about, but I, I remember like seeing it, right? Like I obviously went to a lot of the events, it was just insane, but I've seen what the industry can do for people. Yeah, their, their, their ability to influence and persuade in a good way to, to cast the vision and the dream of what's possible for people. I mean, to me, it's like, you know, they're hope dealers. They're dealing hope in a world of doom and gloom. You know, now, especially you pop on social media, negativity spreads six times faster than positivity. Right. Like you want to plug into something that's positive. And so something like that to be able to, bring and attract 6,000, 20,000, 90. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Yeah, it's like, so I look at all these events, like, and people doing like, oh, there's going to be 2,000 people there, 3,000 people there. Like we, we would turn people away. Like I remember so many times my mom and dad would turn people away. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and people probably don't believe me, but if there's people out there that knew my mom and dad and were there, like it was, I remember landing at an airport one time, looking out the window and there was probably a thousand people waiting for mom and dad to get off the plane. And we, my mom and dad were like, no. And we flew to another airport. Dude, there's, listen, that's legendary status. I mean, there's levels to the game, just like there is in finances or anything, right? Right. I mean, we were packing out 1,500, 
to 2000 here in Utah. It, at it, its that's max. amazing. But come on. I mean, 6,000, 9,000, that is just, there's levels to the game. So, you know, that's, those would be individuals that I'd look up to, to want to see how they did it. And oh, what, I wish I could have been a flying wall back in the day. I mean, I, I don't know. So have you ever seen the YouTube video of Les Browns and the, I believe I can win speech and yeah. in, that's, that's, that's the Georgia dome. That's my mom and dad's event. Wow. So that's it. And it goes through like a sea of, that was my mom and dad's, but that was, it was, it was nuts. And it was crazy. Cause like we got to hang out with, I remember like sleeping at uh, George Foreman toured with us. Um, we literally in our coach because he couldn't afford one back in the day. That was, it was post boxing pre grill. So you'd have an RV. <laughs> so yeah. Back is that, is that how I'm curious? I have to ask you a question. Is that how you got passionate about the RV industry then? Because so, you were constantly in it? So we basically lived in it. I mean, my mom, we toured around the country, been in almost every single state in, an, in a literal, like what you would see as a, you know, music star or maybe start having those tour buses. We, we lit, we had one exactly like theirs. Um, and we toured around all the time in it. And so that's, we, we went from, you know, event to event, to event, to event. And we grew up having that lifestyle. And so we went from that to a tent trailer, which is a big extreme difference. And then from that to like a little bit bigger, uh, Rockwood, you know, bunkhouse and then a bigger fifth wheel, but we've always been passionate about camping. Mm. My mom and dad's dream when they joined, um, their company back in the 1982 was when my dad joined network marketing. Um, and I only remember that because he had a necklace that was 82 carats and diamonds. And then, a, <laughs> I don't know, it's, my dad was, I thought he was a rapper or something, but, um, their, their whole goal, they just wanted to go camping. They want to make a hundred thousand dollars a year, never have to work a day in their life and go camping. And it's kind of funny. They, they would, it, they would go on these insane vacations. I mean, I can't tell you the stuff that we've done and they just wanted to go camping like that. They, you could say, Hey, you know, you can go in a tent you know, here, or we'll give you a million dollars for vacation. My dad be like, I'll take the tent and no money. Wow. Like that's, and they still to this day have a motor home. They travel all around. They're never home and they are all over the place, all over the West. Just, they got a, they got an amazing motor home. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's super, super nice. <laughs> yeah. And they, but it, it's more off roady. You know, my dad likes to go off roading. He even took those tour buses off road, which I can't believe you did, but we, I mean, we would take them up in the mountains and some nice. steep dirt roads and uh. people would think we're crazy up there, but it started that life. You know, it was, it was just that life. I mean, we just around it is a good time. Um, but one thing I want to ask too, um, what do you think was the biggest takeaway, you know, for, for building your team? Cause you've been able to build an amazing team. Like you said, a few thousand people, a couple thousand people in use. That's pretty, pretty amazing. I was never able to do anything like that. Um, not even close. Um, but what do you think was the biggest takeaway from being in the military to being able to build a team like that and having that influence? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that um, there's multiple different things. One, the military really drives home, you know, discipline, accountability, all that stuff, right? And so I think one challenge that the direct sales industry has in it, you know, and most companies have, you know, in and of itself is the ability to be able to, to drive accountability, but still make people believe that you care about them. Right and keep people consistent, keep people bought in the mission and the vision of what you're doing. I mean, for example, you know, as a leader, I could walk into most companies tomorrow and I could see whether or not the, the founder is, as long as the founder is the one who's actually running the data, or if, let's just say it's the CEO, whoever it is, whoever's the one that's actually running the show, I can see the culture that they've, they've duplicated throughout their organization because of, of who they are. Right. Does that make sense? So mm -hmm. like, if they're lazy, if they're disconnected, if they're very casual, you know, I've always told my team casualness creates casualties. 
And, you know, you have to be able to build, a, if you want a championship culture, you have to be the one that's going to be in, in there driving the champions every day. Right. It's like if you show up and there's your assistant at the front desk, are you talking to your assistant about the mission and the vision of, because it's, listen, you could, you, you, sell, you sell RVs. Right. And it'd be very easy for her to just say, okay, I'm going to come in here and collect a paycheck. And she's just going to collect a paycheck. Right. But wouldn't she do a much better job? If every time the, the founder or CEO, because you know some of them are so disconnected, they're untouchable. Right. But what if the founder or CEO every time says, hey, Samantha, I just want to let you know that, you know, I know I see you. You're, you're, you're a single mother. You're going to school right now. You're sitting here at the front desk, but I see you still showing up with a smile on your face, going through the tough times that you're going through. And everybody that walks through that door, you, you look them in the eyes and you give them a smile. And I just want to tell you that I see you and thank you. And because of you, and then tie it to the mission. Right. That's, that's the ability to be able to, to disconnect people from just a job or just a paycheck to be able to get them bought into the mission, the vision, because when tough times happen, you know, like right now, everybody's going through turbulent times, right? When tough times happen, the people that will stay and stay loyal are the ones that don't just feel like they're, you know, just a paycheck. Right. And so that's what we've done. We've built a culture of, of, you know, no matter who they are, of course, you're going to attract your tribe. Not everybody's going to be, you know, like I can tell if somebody's probably going to fit in with us or not. Right. <laughs> and, and a couple of weeks later, they kind of fall off. That's right. the thing about direct sales is it's price of entry is so low, price of exit is so low. So it's very easy to leave, which can be a good thing too. But right. it can also be a bad thing because you attract certain types of people. Right. But throughout all of that, I can identify my players and start to see who has the actual ability to be able to win. And I can, I can teach that to my team through leadership development. Right. Right. And, and cultural sustainment, making sure that there's the accountability to maintain the culture. And through all of that, when we, when we find these leaders and we mentor them and develop them, and when you're close to me, right, let's just say you're working directly with me and you don't have as much influence that you have because you have a lot of influence. Right. Well, of course you're going to have more success because you're working directly with me, but what happens, what duplicates, right? you know, a hundred people deep Bridger. I was, I was, um, interviewing Bridger Pennington. He was said mm -hmm. things typically tend to break at scale. And you know, that's a good test is that scale. Right. And so the question that I had to ask myself when I first got started in the direct sales game was what was going to break at scale, right. On the leadership development side, where was the leadership gaps that were going to happen? Because you can build in hype and you can build in momentum, which this right. industry does a lot. So you have a lot of hype, you have a lot of sales yeah. that are produced because well, everybody's often, excited. What, what comes up comes down, right? Or the, because there's no yeah. substance there. Or even we, we talked about the RV space that we talked about the, the real estate market. It's very easy when you right. have 30 people standing at your door. But what personal development are you doing every day with your team? What leadership development are you doing with your team? What skill set development are you doing with your team to make sure that they, once all this hype stops, once the market is maybe in a, in, a, in a more of a bear market instead of a bullish market, right? will they be able to be the leaders that can sustain what they have or at least maintain it and handle the emotional maturity side of having a dip in their business, having a dip in their income? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because not everything can be, you know, all up for a no, decade. And, you know, and that's one thing that reality. got us in trouble, right? Like own the truth. Like we're like right now, the RV industry is in a, in a, in a dicey situation and like it's it's crazy to me like how hard we worked before covid right like like it was and it was normal you go to work you work super hard you work every lead you do everything you possibly can like you, and then you go home like you're in, in you know when you're at home you you work in the leads like it, it's just it never stops 
well, COVID, you could ignore a hundred leads and say, like, you didn't really care. Like, hey, you call, like, hey, look, I really don't care because if you don't buy it, someone in 15 minutes is going to buy it. So it doesn't really matter. Like, we got lazy, right? And I'm not going to lie, like, that bit us in the ass bad this year and in, in, in really half of last year and this year because, which, you know, all of our team members know, because I said this a lot. So, but we, we just, we got lazy, right? And like, we, like, in the good times, quite often, like, you don't really work on your skills because you think, like, we thought we were badass, right? And now it's like, whoa, like, I don't think we're as good as we think we are, right? Um, but you have to have that maturity. And, you know, we had a lot of leadership, um, but then, like, you know, what we thought. But then now in these times, it's like, it's surprising to them that they have to work. They're like, oh, I don't know if I could do this. I don't know if I could. I'm like, dude, you were the best back in 2019, right? Like, you were, our, you know, number one person. Now, now you're saying that you can't do, you know, 20 phone calls a day or 30 phone calls a day. Are you freaking kidding me? Like, Oh, I don't know. Like this, like, cause it just got lazy, right? Got yeah. used to it. But it's, it, you know, I'll, I'll take ownership in that because that's my fault. But, you know, I should have kept pressing and pressing and pressing and pressing and made sure that we didn't fall back. But, you know, through my own experience and different things of, you know, not knowing how the reaction would be, whatever, but it's so important. It's, it's so, so important, which I feel like, like I love what you guys do because again, I'm part of you guys' Facebook group. Um, but it's, it's so leadership driven that it's, it's, it's contagious. Like everybody knows the expectation. You have that, you have that level of standard in your group that, you know, I, I always, you know, from the outside looking in and, you know, I, mean, you know, I guess kind of infiltrating your Facebook group, but like it was, it's an, it's amazing to watch. Like, and I've been, I've watched some of your guys' lives. Like I've, I've watched a lot of stuff. I'm like, man, these guys got it. Like yeah. these guys are amazing. You know, most people, here's the problem. Most leaders, when they're doing really good, they tend to check out. And that's common, right? It's like in the Bible it says, don't rest on your laurels, you know, and, and this is where personal development kicks in. This is where leadership development kicks in and having the accountability side really come in is, you know, if, if someone's crushing it and they're in a season of right now of, of harvest, that's great. Right. But it's very easy to take their foot off the gas. And when you take your foot off the gas, what's happening by default, you're naturally going backwards. Right. You might not feel it. You're drifting. Right. Might not feel it for a year, six months, depending on the market. But eventually, I promise you, you cannot drift to the top of a mountain, as you know. Like right. eventually, some, there's going to be a shift and you're going to be like, oh, crap, I've been drifting. Like, have you ever, you go to Hawaii, you go to mm -hmm. California, have you ever sat in the surf zone? You're sitting in the surf zone, <laughs> past the surf zone. You go out there, you see your family or you see the hotel. And you just hang out for a second, you look up and you look back and you're like, whoa, depending on how long you sat there, right? right? Right. You might be 50 meters, might be 100 meters if you sat there for like three minutes just chilling. Right. So depending on how long you drifted is going to be determined by how much time you have to now play catch up. Right. It's like Jim Rohn says, you know, if you don't weed your garden, the weeds will take over. Right. You got to, you know, you, you have to live in the, the pain of discipline or, or suffer the pain of regret. Right. Which, which I feel like a lot of people, yeah, dude, I'm not, I'm thinking about that. That's, that's powerful saving because there's a lot of people that don't take that. They don't, they don't go stare at the, the garden and figure out what they need to, to, to weed or what they need to work on it, you know, whatever they either one, you know, too prideful or maybe big ego, whatever you want to call it. They just don't, or, you know, they, they, they think they're too good yeah. or it's not their job or I'm just going to check out and do different things. But at the end of the day, like I always say in the show, like if it is to be, it's up to me. Like you got to kind of make it happen. Right? Like, so, like it, you have to make it happen. Yes. And here's what I do. Here's a great, if you're listening to this and you're a leader of anybody, when things are going good, you can be harder on your people. You can drive more accountability. You can set bigger goals with them and sit down and say, hey, right now you're making 
20 grand a month. Where do you want to get to in the next couple of months? I'll help you. I'll guide you. I'll mentor you. And I'll, I'll hold accountability. Even if it's, dude, we would do, you know, 30, 60, even sometimes 90 day. When I first got started, we're doing 90 day accountability calls where people were calling every night at 9 PM and giving us our, giving us, uh, their numbers, wow. their income producing activities that day. Cause so many people that get analysis paralysis and they just think about, they get mental momentum. They think about everything all day, but they're not actually doing it. So it's like, all right, show me your numbers. Right. Right. So when they're in momentum, I can be harder on you when you're in a season of like right now where there's a lot of people who are struggling, network marketing industry's down, everything's down. Right. Right. It's, it, or if, if they're not down, it's, it's, it's getting there. Come, yeah. It's going to come. <laughs> so, so then that's when you got to kind of come in and, and draw and, and lead with a little bit more of the heart. You right. can't just be soft on people, but you also need to need to tell them, show them that you care. Right. But the most important thing I had a, I had a friend of mine who was my lead petty officer at first phase and when there was funny, cause there was a time when he, he implemented a rule, talk about culture. He implemented a rule. He said, if I'm late, anybody that's late, you'll stand watch. So you got to go stand quarter deck watch, which none of us want to do on the SEAL teams. You're like, come on, dude, I'm an Navy SEAL. I'm standing freaking quarter deck watch. Right. Like, and, um, he was late. He showed up one day and he was late. He was like, sorry guys, no excuses. I was late. You guys have fun. Go deal with the students. I'm going to go stand and watch. Wow. And so to me, that just shows that you can't be a leader who just talks about doing things and telling your team what to do and how to do it. There's so many leaders that just want to train and have stage presence, especially right. in network marketing, but it could be in any industry. It could be a leader as a CEO, because I've seen CEOs like this too. They sit back and they want to tell everybody what to do and how to do it. But then they're sitting back just doing their own thing right. on their own program. They're not, they're not in the trenches doing the things that they said they were going to do. They're not fighting to, to, you know, to the level of they did to get them to where they were before. Right. Cause now they're just resting on their laurels or resting on what they did yesterday. But like John Maxwell says, yesterday ended last night. Right. <laughs> what are you that. doing today? Yeah. yeah. You know? No, it's, it's so true. And like, you got to keep that, that massive action going. And, and I, and I don't know about you, but I always felt like, or in still to this day, I feel like when I, when I either take the foot off the gas or kind of stop and kind of get out of my routine, it's so much harder to get back in it. Mm -hmm. And you only, you get a little bit rusty, right? Like, like, you know, especially for, you know, if I would go on like a week vacation and hadn't done like a, you know, coaching call or like, you know, recruiting people or done like a, you know, even presenting the opportunity back in the, the network marketing days. And like, I'm trying to, you know, I've done the PowerPoint a thousand times and then I come back from a vacation and I'm like, uh, uh you know, I'm like, what the heck? Like, I'm supposed to be the best. Like I was top rank and what the heck is going on? And so I always promised myself, like, I'm never going to get out of that, that rut, but I'm not going to lie. Like when times were good, especially in our RV industry, did I took my, I mean, we were, we were more busy being busy. I, I, I stopped being that guy for like intent, right? Like I, we were just trying to, and it was kind of crazy times. Like we had just bought the biggest, you know, the two, one of the two largest dealerships in the state of Utah and it was just balls of the wall hectic as hell like i was driving trailers every single day from mm -hmm. helper utah to logan utah to salt lake city like you know me and you know now she's now my wife but you know we would just drive trailers every single day like i put tens of thousands of miles on my truck and so you just but i didn't really have like an in, intention with that right it was just busy being busy and i feel like you know i, I should have like what you're saying is been more intentful with my time, more intentful with what's going on. At the end of the day, like you got to get the job done, but there's an intention behind everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the way I live, 
I, we travel all the time. You travel all the time. Right. You live the dream life. I see you on social media. It's amazing. I even, I'm like, dang, he's there now. He's there now. He's, he's in Hawaii. He's in Dallas. He's in California. And I, and I thought, I think I travel a lot. Right. And I, and we do. Right. And, um, but I think you travel more. <laughs> and my point is, is what I've always learned is if people live by true principles and guidelines and, and, you know, it's like a lot of people live by their values. Right. We'll also have principles that you live by so that you never go against it. So for example, when I'm on these trips, I read a book um, back in the day by Stephen Covey that uh, was, I think it's called the seven habits of highly successful mm -hmm. people. And he said, knock first things out first. Right. And so ever since then, which was probably, I think around 2016, when I read that book, I was like, okay, I just got to wake up and like do the first things first, knock it out, no matter how I feel so that the rest of the day is done. And not always are you going to do it. Right. You're going to fall off track, of course, and right. things are going to happen. But if you do it more than not, then you're good. And so when I'm on vacation, I still do meetings. Right. You know, I don't do them all day. I slow them down, you right. know, because I'm way more present with my girls. But, you know, I've built a lifestyle where I get to wake up to my girls every day. So, right. so I'm a little bit more blessed in that sense. But when I was in the military and we'd go on vacation, I'd still do calls. I'd step outside real quick, do a few calls, right? you know, do a, do a video call for the team, like do whatever I had to do to knock out first things first. That's going to something, something I knew was going to push the ball forward. Right. You know, I have a podcast called The Journey to Win. And we, you know, Ian Pruckner, he, I don't know if, do you know Ian? Mm -mm. He, I brought him on my podcast. He, had, he just had a multiple eight figure exit out of his insurance business. And he's, wow. and I asked him what winning was to him. And this kind of changed a lot of, of the structure, even what I, you know, thought winning was. And he said, I think it's, I think it's, it's different. There's five pillars. He said, it's faith, family, fitness, finance, future self. You need to be winning in those five pillars. And yes, there's going to be seasons of imbalance. Yes, there's going to be challenges. But if you're constantly waking up and focused on your faith, your family, your fitness, your finance, and your future self, you can't go wrong. And then I added one more because these are the things that even when I'm on vacation, I'm thinking about, okay, am I putting just a little bit of time into my faith? Am I putting a little bit of time into my family and, my, and being present? Because being present is the present, right? Right. Uh, having, spending a little bit of time just doing something with my fitness. Doing, having, spending a little bit of time with... You get it, right? All of them. Right. And so, and so I added one in there because there was a time in my direct sales game when I was building that I wasn't having fun. Really? I was like, this is great. We're crushing it. We have all this stuff. But I just feel like it's becoming a chore now because we were just so focused all in on business and, 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 and there was other pillars that were falling off because I didn't even really know about all these pillars, right? Right. I mean, I knew about them, but I wasn't really focused on, on growing them. And... um I said, we need to have fun. And so now my wife and I, we make sure we, we do things that are, that are fun. We go play pickleball or we go, right. you know, like we go do stuff that, are, that pours fun into our cup, go to right. a concert or whatever. And so that's been a game changer having all six pillars now and focusing on no matter where we are throughout the world, we, we, we knock first things out first. Oh, I love that, man. And it, it takes that. It's like, you know, you wake up, usually, you know, you know, kind of stretch out, get a little bit, then you're, you have a little burst of energy, right? So you get those things out done super, super quick. And then you don't have to think about them, especially if the things that you don't like, like they don't love or, you know, this and that and the other, like then you're not thinking about it all day long. Like that, that's why I personally, like not that I don't love the gym, but I like waking up, going to the gym and then I don't think about it for the rest of the day. But if I wake up, don't go to the gym. That's all I think about all day long. Mm, yeah. Like, Oh, I can't book this meeting. Oh, like, what about that? Like, and it's like, oh, whatever. I just not gonna go to the gym. And then I end up doing other things. And then I don't feel as satisfied as I would 
going throughout the day. So I, I, I like that. And, and I will say like everybody listening to this, like I, you do do that because I do follow you on social media yeah. and like, I feel like you just did a big like European trip or somewhere over there with your daughters. Right. I think you brought the girl. We brought one daughter. Brought yeah. One daughter. Yeah. And, um, it looked like a blast by the way. I've never been to Europe. So I've always wanted to go. Um, but it's just, it's cool to, you know, to, that, that you really do do that. Like you're, you're one of those guys that you do leave from the front. Um, I do see it every single day. It's not just something that you talk about. You do it every single day. So, um, one thing I want to ask you as well is like, what, I guess, what are the biggest things, you know, and you kind of hit on some things. What are the biggest things like culturally, you know, do you think is the most important that someone could start tomorrow that maybe hasn't really focused on this? If, if they have a team or if they have someone. Yeah. So like if they're in, in, in most people listen to this podcast, you know, some sort of like leadership or business role or CEO, business owner or influence of, of some, you know, group of people or something like that. I'd say just remember the principles that that can guide you. This has been a great one for me is your team does half of what you do right twice of what you do wrong. I like that. It's so true, man. That's yeah, very look, true. Look at your girl. Yeah. My girls, I see it. Yeah. <laughs> I have a seven month old. And I'm already starting to see little things that she's doing. And I have a two and a half year old and you can definitely see it in her. And, you know, in leadership, you know, people are going to duplicate what you do way more than what you say. You can tell people all day long what to do, but if you're not doing it, cool. Well, they're going to duplicate your energy. They're going to du duplicate your enthusiasm. So if you're energetic, they're going to do half of, have half of your energy, right. your, your positive energy. If you're casting vision and talking about the dream and, you know, putting those individuals, like I told you, I think I said Samantha earlier, the mm -hmm. front you know, assistant, if you're constantly doing that, then your team's going to do half of that. Right. So you got to do twice as much to make sure that they're doing a little bit more. Right. Right. So, and then also last thing I'll tell you is, um, Jim Rohn said, protect it like a father, but nurture it like a mother. And so this is your, that's your culture and in right. leadership, you get what you allow. And so you don't have to be so rigid all the time. And like, you know, cut people's heads off all the time. Right. Like you can love on people and nurture them like a mother, show them that you care, but protect it like a father, make sure they know the, the boundaries of the culture. And if they're late, they're standing watch. Right. Right. If they're, if they're gossiping, that's not okay here. Right. Right. Like there's a saying called cut the head off the dragon before the, while it's a baby, before it gets too big. Right. And, um, breathe fire all over your people. Right. And, and, and there's a lot of casualties and a lot of people are too casual with the gossiping with the certain cultural issues and then it grows up and becomes a dragon and kills all your people right and that by the way uh, you can you can take that and and really spread that out into any different area that could be you know not just gossiping that could be you know any other area that that they're looking at in leadership right right i think it's so i mean couldn't agree more i mean it's so important because you got to squash that now yeah like even like I was talking with Andy Priscilla one time and um, he was like, he's like, I care about culture so much that if someone uses the bathroom and he says it's multiple times all over the place. Um, but, you know, I was talking with him. I was like, honestly, Andy, I don't know anything about you. So like, I'm not going to say that I don't know about you, but I don't listen. Like I haven't listened to your stuff. So you got to act like I'm a new guy. And he was like, I care about the culture so much that if someone uses the bathroom, doesn't wipe out the sink and off the sink that I in, in, in any position, and I go in the bathroom and it's wet. I immediately go out and they're terminated. They're terminated. Yeah. And I'm like, really? He's like, that's the standard. And I'm like, wow. So I'm I not mean, saying he's right or wrong. I mean, I, yeah. I don't, 
clearly he's built a billion dollar organization. He must, he must, he's, he's doing t- something he, right. He runs right? a tight like, yeah. ship. Yeah. But, but he cares about a standard so high. Now, you know, I don't, are they, are they not? I don't, I, I, I'm, I've never been there. Right. So I'm always like, I'm, I'm always like, I'm going to go test it. I'm going to go <laughs> splash water everywhere and then walk out and then hope, and then ha- hopefully he comes in after and starts yelling at somebody. I'm okay. Like that would be me. You can't fire me, but you, you know, you're walking the walk and I, and I, and I've heard really good things about him and, and he, he's not that guy that's like, he might be loud and proud, you know, and, and sound like he's yelling, but I've heard so many good things. About I've heard him. great things about just, him. In, in any interactions I've had with them, super, super cool guy. The, so The one thing I've always appreciated as leaders, like the best SEAL team leaders that I've ever worked for are the guys that when you mess up, they're not instantly like coming at you. Right. They're like, hey, Jason, come over here real quick. Like, you doing all right? right? How's your wife? How are the kids? Because they look for trends. They don't just right. see one thing and they're now they're cutting your head off. They're like, dude, this isn't like Brandon to be coming late. This isn't like him to be not doing whatever. Right. It's like, what's is he okay? Let's talk to him. Right. And they pull you aside and they have that heartfelt conversation, see how you're doing. And then if you're fine, then obviously they, they, they'll say, Hey dude, like you got to pick it up. Okay. Right. And then next time that's when a more serious conversation will happen. But you know, I think I've always respected that. And when people, do, when people have come with that type of mentality, like I've wanted to work two or three or four times harder now than I did previously. Right. You know? and it's just like, you know, back, goes to the, you know, sales network marketing, you know, when you get that no, quite often there's a deeper reason, deeper meaning, you know, a deeper, you know, there's something more than just a no. I mean, there's always a deeper, deeper reason for, you know, I believe a lot of things. And so when someone's screwing up and you're right, when it's not normally them, there's quite often a deeper reason that's going on. And, you know, it, 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 it can't be black and white. There's gotta be a lot of gray. Like you just said with Jim Rohn, Jim, Jim Rohn, was it Jim Rohn that said, Jim Rohn, yeah. you know, nurture him like a mother, but protect him like a father. Um, you got to look at it like, you know, like a situation like that. Like, I really like that. Like, I'm sorry. Oftentimes on this podcast, I self think through things. I'm, I'm no, that's how good. I think the things, but it's very, it's, it's powerful and very, very important. Yeah. I remember earlier we were talking about, and I'm not going to call it out, but we were talking about some people in sales who were crushing it pre COVID and now they're kind of struggling mm-hmm. and they're saying they don't want to do as many calls. Well, to me, it's like, I would have a personal conversation with the man, just see where they're at. It's right. like, because I can't remember who said it, but they said, if you help enough people get what they want, you'll get what you want. Yeah, I think it was Jim Rohn again. Jim Rohn again. But the challenge with that is, is sometimes we're trying to push our agenda on people, but they're just not the people that's going to get it done. They might've got it done in the past. I call them, there's all-stars and hall of famers. Right. Hall of famers, they did something in the past. There's a lot of those. Right. They talk about what they did in the past. They're like excited about what they did in the past, but they're just resting on that alone. And they're not willing to show up with new energy like the all-stars who continue to do it week after week, day after day, minute after minute, those are the all-stars. So it's like, okay, well, if this is, if this person's just going to be a hall of famer, that's where they're at in their life. Maybe I need to go find a new mentor that I can, or a mentee that I can mentor and develop them into somebody that might be my next all-star. Right. No, I love that. that that's super powerful. Brandon, this has been a great conversation. Um, I, I just want to again say thank you so much for being on the show. Um, last thing I want to ask you is what does success mean to you? You need to find success. I love it. I love it that you asked that. Because I, I always ask in my podcast, I say, what is winning to you? Right? Because yeah. it's the journey to win. And, you know, I think I had Bridger Pennington on yesterday. Um, and he had a great, it was so good, man. He said his grandpa, he was at uh, the Pirates Cove in Las Vegas. I think it's outside of Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And it's his wife's grandpa, I think. But this guy has created the, the generational legacy from his family that like, he said, he said, look in, if you're, if you're 
if you have kids, what do your great grandkids look like? He said, wow. because things break at scale. Right. So did you put in the right principles, the right values into your family? Did you want to be famous in the world? Or did you want to be famous with your family? Like, right. did you pour in the time? Were you present with them? Did you develop them with the right values to go out there and duplicate that at scale with your grandchildren? To me, I was like, that's winning. That's powerful. That's winning. That's you. Uh, I heard it one time, same, same, basically same thing. Eric Thomas said, are you a Clark Kent at home or a, a Clark Kent at home and a Superman at work? a superman with your friends but a clark Kent at home and i was like dang i, I literally went up I, I literally or uh drove home listened to the rest of that podcast went inside and i was like i'm a clark Kent at home for sure mm. i like ruined into my wife and I'm, like, I'm sorry like i should be a superman you know i'm trying to be a superman at all times but i was like i'm like i like i get home and i'm just like whatever i kind of you know i'm so you know spent at work or spent in the things i come home and i'm like dang but then i look at my daughter and she said come play with me come play with me come play with me and, I, and then i'm like no, 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 I'm tired of this and that and the other. Like, and, you know, that right there, like what you're saying is like that generational, like values and principles, man, that would, that would be cool to look back on, you know, when I'm 80 years old and I got my kids and grandkids and maybe even a great grandkid or whatever and being like, this is the legacy that I believe. Because like, that, that, that is like, that's eternal kind of, it could be eternal, right? Yeah. Like that could keep on going and keep on going and keep on going. So that's, that's and listen to, to your defense. That's easy to fall into. It's just, we have to ask ourselves, Tony Robbins says the quality of our life is direct reflection of the quality of the questions we ask ourselves or don't ask ourselves. Right. At least you're willing to ask yourself these questions and see, you know, okay, where am I? And right I'll take a, take, take a self-assessment because I have to constantly, everybody has to constantly do that. It's just self, you're self-correcting. Right. And, um, my brother had a son when he was, you know, when I, when I just joined the Navy. So he's probably what, 19 years old now man it's like a blink of an eye that kid is 19 years old that's crazy so i'm thinking look at my two daughters well, then i have a five-year-old i'm like what the heck yeah yeah and then you're about to have another baby congratulations yeah. by the way well, thank you hopefully i'm not thank you nope yeah ruining. everybody should know by now <laughs> but uh man i mean think about that so so next time she's like hey you want to go to the park or to the pool like sometimes i'm like i don't want to go but i'm gonna go yeah. i got a business call okay brandon Put your dang headphones on, dude. Do the call while you're with her. It's okay. At least you're out there still still spending time with her. As soon as the call's over with, it's done. Put your phone away and right. go hang out with them. No, I love that. Brandon, thank you so much for being on the show. It really means a lot. I've, I've learned a ton. I can't wait to listen to this back and get the little nuggets, man, because I feel like there's a lot. So Always learn a lot you. from you too, man. Thanks for having me on. That means a lot. If you like this episode, please share it. Follow Brandon on social media and also follow his uh, podcast, uh, The Journey to Win. Uh, where, where's, where's your podcast at? It's on... Uh, Apple and Spotify. And then my Instagram is at the, the Brandon Thornhill. And then you can go to brandonthornhill.com as well. Love this dude. Unbelievable family. Hopefully we'll see your wife on the show. Cause I want to you know, yeah. highlight more, you know, powerful women. I feel like she, I just watch a lot of her stuff and she crushes it. But if you like this episode, please share it. Um, you know, if you, if you feel value, value in it and you know, want to share it with an individual, please do that. Like it, subscribe to the YouTube channel. And again, Brandon, thank you so much. For Thanks, brother. Appreciate you.